Welcome to another episode of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hello. How's it going, Derek? <laughs> it's going good, I guess. I've yeah. got cat poop on my bed, and I could be out for beers tonight. You could be out for beers, and you've got cat poop <laughs> on your bed. Um, I, we accidentally locked the cat in the bedroom today when we went to work, so he spent about uh, 10 hours. <laughs> <laughs> That'll learn you. Yeah, the poor cat. I feel bad for the cat. You can't be mad at him. Well, you can be, but uh, it's your fault. Yeah, so now i got to find another place to sleep tonight because my bed's wet. Because he peed, too. <laughs> and you'd rather be here than out for beers. No, I'd rather be out for beers. One of my oh. one of my coworkers got a new job, and uh, we were doing a... Uh, so, Milena's moving on, and uh, we were supposed to go for beers with her tonight, and uh, I'm missing it. I'm missing the fun. Ah, sucks to be you, buddy. I know. I sucks know. to be you. <laughs> Well, other than that, it's uh, yeah, it's been a well, it's been a bit of a busy week for me, getting things done and keeping on top of a few things and uh, uh, the outdoor retailer show, trade yes. show. You hearing about that, eh? Big news. That's big news south of the border here. I uh, don't want to get all political about anything. But, no, absolutely uh, not. Basically, they're for those that haven't heard, um, they want to rescind the Bears Ear National Ears National Monument that Obama made before he left. Yes, and there's been a lot of reaction to that. Like, well, what it is, is the reaction is to the fact that the uh, state governor wants to rescind it for whatever reason. We're not going to get into that, but the outdoor retailers, you know, like we're talking Arcteryx and... Uh, Patagonia, yeah, Merino Peak, Wool. Peak Design. Ibex. Kamek Hammocks. Yeah. Power Practical Lighting. So all these guys are... are the outdoors is the outdoor retailers living, but also it's their way of life. Like these outdoor retailers, they their lives re- revolve around the outdoors and how you use the outdoors and how you protect the outdoors for, you know, future generations. Yeah. So now they're, you know, they were all happy that this is, this area was being protected. You know, uh, I guess, I guess there was a, a, bill or something that they wanted to get passed, but they just weren't moving forward on it. So Obama said, you know what, we're just going to do it. Here you go. And uh, now they're saying, well, that was just an abuse of power um, of the Antiquities Act. And uh, no, we don't think it should be done. We're going to rescind it. So that's where they are right now. And in response, Patagonia said that they will not be attending this trade show because it's held in Utah. And that's where Bears Ears uh, National Monument is. Um, and they basically, uh, the founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Schwinnard said the outdoor industry loves Utah. Does Utah love the outdoor industry? And said, if the government governor doesn't need us, we can find a more welcoming home. Uh, he, he, his statement included a call to action saying we're confident other outdoor manufacturers and retailers will join us in moving our investment to a state that values our industry and promotes public land conservation. So, I mean, that was, that was a big statement saying, you know, well, you know, we're, we're, we're not going. If you guys don't think that it's worth protecting environmental lands and, and whatnot, then, then forget it. A couple of days later, Arcteryx, big climbing, I got, I got a bunch of uh, climbing gear from, uh, from them and that. They said that they're pulling out as well. So, I mean, those are two massive companies. Yes. And but they're going to donate the money the money they would have spent on the show. They're going to put that towards the Conservation Alliance's Public Lands Defense Fund um, to help, I guess, with this. Yeah, and Ibex have said the same thing. They're still going to go to the show, but they're going to scale things back. And yeah. they figure they're going to save about $10,000 on reduced showing at the show. Yeah. Marina Wool's done that exact same thing. And they're yeah. going to donate ten grand mm-hmm. to... To the, the same uh, defense fund. Uh, it's, it's really, eh. there's it, a lot of smaller gotten, to mid-sized brands that are, yes. have, have done it now as well. All, it's all in a protest. It's kind of big. And it's, uh, it's interesting to see outdoor retailers, uh, you know, the solidarity they're getting together to support yeah. a great cause, right? Well, and the retail show, the, the trade show itself, uh, they're, they're looking, they say, you know what, please don't boycott us yet. We're looking for a new home. 
Yeah. So they may move to a new state. A new state, yeah. You know, and then the the show will hopefully go on as normal. And but, uh, this is a big retail. This is a retailer show. This is where the retailers get together to network to share. Like Polar Tech works with Patagonia, and yep. you know, so all these retailers they work together and they get together. It's like a big networking show for them. It's uh, it's where they combine their efforts to get into new products and combine efforts to create new things. And so this this is uh, this is pretty significant within the industry. Yeah, we we'll definitely uh, have to keep an eye and see what's going on down there. You know, I mean, like I say, we don't definitely don't want to get political on this show. No, it's, absolutely not. It's it's kind of scary watching what's going on. Yeah, and, you but know, we had to talk about it because it's it's such a big significant event within. It's shaking the industry right now. Well, especially when you get massive companies like Patagonia. Yeah, and, and whatnot saying and, yeah. saying you know what we're done. I mean that that's that's that makes a big statement right there. Absolutely, you know. Absolutely. So we'll keep an eye on that. And hopefully things uh, turn out for for the best and for all of that. Um, you have your one fifty for one fifty tickets. I do. I bought tickets. I. I uh, I was on the fence, and well, of course, you were telling me that I had to go because <laughs> I'm not going to be there. We needed representation at the show. So at the I event. was I was pushing it off and pushing it off, and and finally, what got me off my butt was uh, uh, Mike Burns, friend of ours. He uh, he emailed me one day at work. He says, "Hey, uh, I hear you might be going. I'm looking for somebody else to paddle or whatever." So anyway, so. Suddenly it just got all together and uh, I booked I booked the tickets. When I booked, there was 16 left. Now there's none. There's none. So they now have 150 people going out in 150 canoes onto Canoe Lake in Algonquin Park to celebrate the Canada's 150 on 150. On June 25th. June 25th, that's correct, right. on the Sunday. For anybody that missed our show last week, we had David Lee, the passionate paddler yes. on here. And he was discussing the, the event because he's one of the, the organizers. One of the organizers, yeah. But yeah, on June 25th for Canada's 150th birthday, they're getting 150 canoes out onto Canoe Lake in Algonquin Park. And uh, he had asked us to be there. And unfortunately, I do believe I will be paddling with my family in the Rocky Mountains out in Alberta at that time. So Derek is our main man. Yeah. So it should be fun. Uh, me and Mike are going to make a weekend of it. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to go camp for the weekend, get in there early on Friday, spend two nights in the park and, and it should be fun. We'll uh, gather together. I'm not sure exactly how the event's going to, going to pan out, but it's, it looks like it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be very fun to see so many like-minded people getting together for a huge photo op and a huge uh, gathering of minds to celebrate Canada's 150. Yeah, and David had said that there was other events going to be going on at the same time. Yes, on you know, Saturday so, there's some stuff going yeah. on in the Sunday. So that'll, be, that'll be neat to see all of that and make sure there's some pictures that we can post on our Facebook page. It's going to be interesting trying to find parking. Yeah, that's going to be fun. <laughs> not to my circus, not to my monkeys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have my own monkeys out west. <laughs> but that's why we're going up on Friday. We're going to try yeah. and get there early Friday morning and, uh, and try and... We're, well, that, that's the real reason. It's good. Go and go camping, and that way we're in there early and we can canoe into the event instead of driving. Well, that'd be kind of cool. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I think you guys will have a blast. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Now you're sitting here waiting till June with that cabin fever going on. And, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm getting that cabin fever big time Well, you right know, now. this time of year, it uh, it kind of weighs on you. You keep seeing stuff like this and thinking of the summer. And normally you could go for a quick weekend or you go for a hike or do something, right, to get enjoy the outdoors. But in, unless you're deep into summer sports you or winter sports, you uh, you get the cabin fever rolling in, and and I remember last week when we were recording and we were talking about something, and I just had this it, this <laughs> emotion roll over me. It's like, oh God, I'd love to be sitting around a campfire right now after a day paddling. Yeah, and it's I mean we're, we've actually been getting some snow and and whatnot, so it's uh, that's nice down in Toronto because I'm tired of these these winters just seem so hard when there's it snows and then the next day it's gone and it's then it rains yeah. and then it's just cold. Stupid lake like, effect, oh. eh? Yeah. But yeah, anyways, really... if you and and I I came across this uh, this morning, and it's it's really something that uh, can help uh, with your cabin fever <laughs> over the winter. So I I found on the Gear Junkie website it's uh, ten best outdoor documentary streaming on Netflix. So <laughs> Gear we, Junkie's got some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And when I mentioned to you earlier today about, hey, we should talk about this, you you said, 
eh, it's not paddling. But it actually, like when we both just went through the list of documentaries, yep. it's like, oh, that, that's interesting. So they, like, there's there's enough documentaries out there about the outdoors that uh, there's something that's going to be in your wheelhouse, something that you're going to find interesting. Yeah, we, I mean, we like we like to keep stuff, and that's one thing. <laughs> Derek and I will be coming up with ideas, and that's the one. One thing we're always talking about is, well, what does that have to do with paddling? Yes, because we need to keep it uh, centered on the show. But yeah, you know what? When it comes to cabin fever, like th- this is, well, when you're out paddling, like for you, you're deep into photography and, and stuff like that. So there's one of these uh, documentaries is on is on photography. And outdoor there's photography, a whole yeah. series of shows on photography and the outdoors. So it uh, this kind of dive right into it here. They, some of the documentaries... Like the, uh, the first one, Endless Summer, it's about surfing, right? It's, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's, I've never surfed, but. Uh, oh, I tried it once. Did it you? It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that's just because I failed at it. <laughs> hurt my ego. <laughs> oh, it didn't hurt my ego. Let, let me tell you. I got a nice red belly. <laughs> Is my arm supposed to bend that way? Yeah. <laughs> but this list of the of their top ten is right on the Gear Junkie website. But so like there's this there's the first one the surfing. There's second it's 180 degrees south. So we already mentioned uh, Patagonia founder Yvonne Schwinard. Schwinard he uh, way back in 1968 he trekked to Patagonia, and I think this is the the precursor to founding the company called yep. Patagonia, where he's got backpacks and jackets and gear and clothes and anything you can imagine. So this is, uh, somebody had kind of relived his, his trip and, and redid the trip and uh, from, you know, along with interviewing him for the show. So that's kind of interesting. There's, uh, there's higher. So this is snowboarding and like some really steep snowboarding, Jackson Hole, Alaska Range and stuff like that. So this is, I always love watching these on, uh, Usually you watch them on YouTube because you, it, you, it's kind of fun watching people wipe out, right? Well, you watch, you, you just look at part of these places that they're snowboarding. And, and it's breathtaking. It is so, it's breathtaking, but it is so steep. It's You horrifying. lose it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's going to hurt. And it's nice to watch it because I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's I'll like wa- surfing. I'll watch somebody else do it. <laughs> it's all funny till someone falls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a valley uprising. So this is, uh, so this is a early rock climbing video and it, it, it just talks about rivalry between, uh, a couple, uh, back in the day, rock climbers and Roll Robbins and Warren Harding. It's interesting. It's, uh, so the, the stone masters of the eighties type thing. It, anyways, it's, uh. In Yosemite. Yes. Yosemite. Yosemite. I yeah. used to, <laughs> I, for the life of me, could not figure out who Yosemite Sam was. On Bugs, Bugs Bunny. Bunny. Forever. I, who's Yowsmite Sam? There's a Yosemite Sam, but there's not a Yowsmite. And then one day it just clicked. Oh, <laughs> it's pronounced Yosemite. I feel like such a putz. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a light bulb went off. Yosemite <laughs> Sam. Oh, I get it. Yeah. And That's what you're dealing with here. Yes. <laughs> Quite the team we make. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there's uh, Jumbo Wild. So uh, <clears throat> Jumbo Wild is, uh, it's, what is it? It's It was development. Is, yeah, so, it basically talks about how development affects this one valley. So this is what, uh, British Columbia, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how it affects the, the wilderness that all the locals enjoy. Because uh, somebody wanted to put in a year-round ski and golf resort. Okay, so ski, so, winter, golf, summer, yeah. and stuff like that, and how it affects the outdoors, the wilderness, yep. and and so on. So uh, then there's uh, the Barkley... Oh. I'm watching this one. <laughs> when, the race that eats its young. Yes. This is, uh, it, this is a fascinating premise. When we were trying to read through this, like we were laughing. It's like, are you serious? This is what they do? Okay, so, you got you got to read. You got to read this out. <laughs> What the, the, the description of what this series is about. With a name as daunting as the race that eats its young, the Barkley Marathons is one of the most challenging and curious ultra-distant races in the world. In over 25 years of races, just 10 people have finished the race. It crosses 100 miles. The course climbs. So you have, you know, the overall altitude gain. The, the course climbs 54,000 feet through untracked terrain 
and brambles. Entrants must write an essay on why I should be allowed to run in the Barkley. And the entrance application fee is a dollar sixty. Is that in US or small Canada? Bills. <laughs> so are you up to the challenge? Watch and find out. Okay, you know what? This one sounds fun. I'm gonna watch this myself. This I, one looks- I wanna watch it because I mean that's uh, <laughs> 10 people? Only 10 people have finished 25 this? years of racing, 10 people. It's wow. 100 kilometers, 54,000 feet of, cl- of altitude gain, and it costs a buck wow. 60 to apply for <laughs> But you got to write an essay. I'd rate the essay, pay my buck 60, <laughs> just to say, yeah, I was, I was in it. <laughs> I applied. <laughs> Didn't finish, but I was in it. But nobody finishes, yeah. so I'm good. Yeah, so I'm good, I'm good. That's hilarious. Like, it's, it's amazing. It, like... I don't know how difficult this is, but I guess we'll learn when we uh, watch the documentary. Yeah, I think so. And then, so this is, oh, this is the one about the photography. Yeah. So Tales by Light. So you should talk about this one. This is what, this is right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, this is all about, uh, you see the top photographers, how they capture the the world's most amazing images. And the whole series details um, technique and, and whatnot, the professional outdoor photographers. And... They cover underwater, Himalayas, adrenaline photography, wilderness, panoramic, tribal photography, and it, it, some of the stuff that you see is just phenomenal. So that's definitely, if you're right into photography, you know, a lot of people when it comes to paddling, you know, you, you're, you've always got the camera uh, in the canoe or in the, in the kayak or whatever. And if, especially on canoe trips, you know, you're sitting there and you're always taking the photos. And I think this will be right up the alley. Cause I mean, I do the light photography, I do outdoor photography, I, I do some, some portrait stuff. So this is, yeah, I definitely going to check this one out as well. Well, it does seem fascinating. It's, it's not really, I, I try photography, I enjoy it, but it's not something I do a lot of. The old point I can see guy. how you would find this fascinating. Yeah. Uh, oh, then there's uh, finding traction. So this is uh, Nikki Kimball's journey to the fastest known time on Vermont's 273 mile long trail. Now I've not heard about this one before, but over the summer, we've talked about a few on the Adirondacks. That's uh, yeah, there was one that there was a bit of uh, controversy. controversy over. She just showed up and did the course in record time. It's like, well, who followed? Yeah, that? and then there was we've... something about the end where they couldn't. Yeah. The same one where they weren't supposed to be uh, celebrating on the top of the oh yes the mountain yes. sort of thing. Yeah. I'm wondering if this is the same one. We'll have to yeah, definitely. I'm not sure, check but it's out. it is interesting. These these epic mi- long miler races. Yeah. So that, that if anybody who's into these epic long milers, then uh, this is a, a definitely a documentary that yeah. you enjoy. Yeah, running for 273 miles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's not my bag. <laughs> I'll I'll run to the kitchen, grab a beer before the game starts. Yeah. <laughs> what do they call them hyper marathoners like they run 100 miles yeah. they do basically uh two or three marathons in a row which you know in the same not race. my bag man i can't imagine like wh- what your body would have to put up with to do that like you you are a genetic specimen to be able to handle something like yeah that. uh the next one is uh it's called pantani accidental death of a cyclist so this is uh Marco Pantani, he uh, he won Tour de France and the Giro d'Italia. So no no other rider has ever repeated the uh, this double header race and winning both. So, anyways, uh, it just talks about him and uh, and the issues that he's put up with uh, afterwards, uh, his addictions and stuff like that. So that seems anybody who's into cycling, road racing, and stuff like that. And then we have Planet Earth. So this one, I've seen a few episodes of these ones, and and we joked about the uh, the Australian guy. Anybody that has been on YouTube in the internet and has seen, because David Attenborough, yes, uh, he's he uh, he's narrates epic, all this. He's the epic narrator. Like, but he, there's the one guy, Aussie man, <laughs> who narrates, and there there's one that's been going around for the last couple of months since planet earth one finished yeah and the episode with the iguana and the snakes it is so not safe for work (laughs) (laughs) i mean the 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 words he uses but i mean if you're into that kind of humor it is absolutely hilarious but the just the the way they've gotten the, the 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 filming and and the the pictures they've gotten and and one of the footage of the animals and stuff now they've got Planet Earth 2 out. Yes. I know that. I don't, it's not on Netflix yet, I don't think. Oh, I don't know. I haven't looked. Yeah. 
but uh, planet of, I mean, it definitely, if you're into outdoor uh, and nature, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's the top 10 uh, outdoors documentaries. And some of these are fascinating. There, I can, there's like at least three of them here that I definitely want to watch right away. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. The, uh, Tales by Light with all the photography and yeah. the Barkley Marathons. Are, yeah. The Barkley Marathon. Absolutely. I'm definitely checking that one out because <laughs> that's, uh, wow. I got my buck 60 all lined up. I got my fingers ready to type. I got my shoes. <laughs> well, you can already see just by the, the type of race it is that the documentary is going to be funny. It's going to be fun to watch and it's going to be probably shocking to watch too. Just yeah. what these guys have to go through. Can't imagine. Oh. Like I say, 25 years of races and 10 people have finished. <laughs> wow. Finishing is the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You finished? Really? <laughs> so, well, if you've got any sort of cabin fever, I mean, definitely hit Netflix and uh, check out uh, these. And again, if you go to gearjunkie.com and just in their search bar, hit Netflix, this is the first thing that comes up is these 10... Uh, 10 shows and check them out. Definitely check them out and hopefully it'll help you get over some of that cabin fever for Absolutely. the next, I guess, two months. Cause May is We're when, close. Uh, May is when we all do the ice out thing. Yeah. Right. April, beginning of May, ice yes. out. And then the canoe trips start. One more thing I'd like to add yeah. is, and this is just that the, I came across my uh, computer today talking about uh, cabin fever and looking to the next season. Um, I remember we called, talked about Lynette and Lester. They came across the, oh, the Angava Angava Peninsula. Peninsula. Yeah. So the, the guy that does the filming for them, sorry, but I can't remember his name right now. Um, we'll call him Bob. John Snow or something. Anyways. John Snow from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So <laughs> when we come back from commercial, I'll get his name right. Anyways. So the, uh, they, he's released his first, uh, 10 minute video on YouTube of the first few days of the Ungava crossing from last July. So it, it's fascinating, the difficulty of the trip, the trials and tribulations of how they get into it. And his, his videography is, is, is really top notch. It's really nice to watch. It's fun to watch. And I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it. This is something that I've been anxious for and looking for since I first learned last July. Remember we followed them on their trip yeah. and we were doing updates because it was, it's a four week trip. Yeah. It took them forever to, and it's, so they, and Lynette and Lester, they've done this trip, uh, I think four or five times going fully across the Ungavis Peninsula or from the Pingalawit Crater east and then west. They've done the west side. I think this is the third time. So it's, uh, they, they finally released the video or at least just the first few days video of, uh, la of the 2016 trip. So if you go to, uh, YouTube and, uh, just type in Ungava Crossing or Lynette and Lester, then you'll come across this video. Uh, you know what? If you throw it uh, our way, we can, we'll throw it on our Facebook we, page. Yeah, we'll put it on the Facebook page. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, that's yeah. what we can do these days. So I'm, but I was so excited when I saw it, like, uh, when, uh, Lakos Kovacs, he, when he posted that on his Facebook page this morning, it's like, oh, right on. Because it was, it's only been on, uh, just for a few days now. Right. So it's, uh, it's something that I've been looking forward to. So you guys should check this out. If you're looking for an epic crossing of the Angava Peninsula, which is way, way Northern Quebec, then you'll find this very interesting. Remarkable cinematography by John Snow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm, I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break here and we come back. Uh, we're going to talk about, because we've talked about canoe tripping. We've talked about kayaking. We've talked about stand-up paddle boarding. This week, we're talking rafting. Absolutely. And oh man, did I ever uncover a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> so we'll be right back after this message. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio, whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. 
Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. And over the break... Um, I did some Googling. You did some Googling and found out John Snow's real name. Winter is coming. <laughs> so anyways, it's uh, not John Snow. Dang. It's, uh, it's Chris Rush. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> so the, the guy's name who did the videography is Chris Rush. And he's been with uh, Lynette Lester uh, multiple times. Uh, I'm not sure how many times, but at least four times he's done some of these trips with Lynette and Lester. And uh, so he's published, he's got... He doesn't have very many YouTube videos, but uh, he, he documents these uh, Ungava crossings. And I think he's more of a commercial um, videographer, but he's uh, doing a few of these vacation trips on uh, <laughs> on YouTube. Anyway, so if you look up Chris Rush or Ungava, Ungava U-N-G-A-V-A, so Ungava 2016 preview, you'll see uh, the first few days of their 2016 Ungava expedition. And like I say, we'll post that on our uh, Facebook page as well. Yes. So until then, let's talk rafting. Um, when you talk rafting, I mean, near the Ottawa there, you get the owl rafting and whatnot. You go yes. for the day and you do some white water, you get wet, you have a good time, you have lunch and you, you head on home, that sort of thing. Uh, I've just been looking up some rafting stuff and been following the International Rafting Federation site and their Facebook page and... You know, they, they talk about different events coming up this this year and stuff like that. And apparently there's more to rafting than just a nice lazy... <laughs> and this surprises me too. It's like, how do I miss stuff like this? <laughs> I mean, cause if you look... And we, we watched the, the, the kayaking. Yes. And the canoeing down, you know, oh, white water and all that and sort of stuff. And it's exciting. Kayaking, whitewater kayaking is an Olympic sport now. And it's, it's fascinating stuff to watch. Well, picture doing that in a big raft and it's all foldy and bendable I honestly and can't visualize it i'm gonna have to google the, uh, youtube it's a it. thing it is a thing so like i say we talk a lot about the canoes the kayaks stand-up paddle boards uh but we've never really talked a lot about rafting i mean we, we did talk about rafting trips through nepal when we talked about paddle nepal there are a few shows about yes um but never nothing too deep in you know in, in depth um, but like I say, you, you go, you go on the nice leisurely guided trip down the, down the river sort of thing. And I mean, you see the big ones through the Grand Canyon and stuff, but competitive rafting is a thing and it's a big thing. So when they, they talk about rafting rafting is a human activity conducted on running rivers, requiring physical skill using paddle and oar power in soft crafts, which is the big thing, right? Yeah. Uh, generally accepted as being a social, commercial, competitive sport. Now, there's the International Rafting Federation, the IRF. You can go to internationalrafting.com and find find everything about them. And there's quite a bit of information. Which, again, surprises me. But it's just like it was a blind spot in my knowledge and, and my experience, right? Well, it's not something you really think about or really see, right? Yeah. Um, there was a growing need and demand for an official body that could represent and unite the rafting communities of the world. And back in 1997. So the initial key areas for this representation were guide training and education. So these would be the people that take you down the Grand, Grand Canyon River trips and stuff. Okay. And sport and competitions. Uh, they held their first Congress in 1997. And the first unofficial International Rafting Federation World Championships that year as well. The first, th those were the unofficial ones. The first official World Championships were in Costa Rica in 1998. So, I mean, this has been going it's, for a while yeah. now, you know? Huh. So, what, 18 years? Yeah. 18 years now, yeah, 19 years. And Costa Rica says that's basically when the rules to govern racing were finalized. So 97 seemed to be a big year for getting everything started and, and designing everything and getting everything into place. And over the next year, that's when everything was sort of finalized. And the International Rafting Federation was, was brought into being. And the, 
it's, it's about bringing the world of rafting together so everybody can benefit from the interaction. And this interaction may involve anything from competing at world championship levels to just being a local event in your town, right? Like, like I say, with the um, guided trips down down the river sort of thing. Do they or talk small about, events. Do they talk about the potential of ever being in the Olympics? They do. I'll get to that a little bit later. Okay. Um, they, that's one of the things they want to, to, to look at. Um, I mean, you start thinking about it and just, I mean, if you look at kayaking and the solemn stuff that they do, yeah, I got to see this eventually happening. Hmm. Right. So yeah, we'll get, we'll get into that. Um, but one of the things that the, the Federation, the forefront of raft safety worldwide through their various courses and certifications, they're trying to ensure a global standard of guides Okay. While continually evolving raft techniques to keep everybody safer. Yes, right? exactly. Which is Sta- a big standards thing. in the industry. The other big thing that they're into is the environment and conserving the rivers. You know, I mean, and that's enough. If the rivers are are gone, then you're not rafting. Yeah, you're out of work. You're, right. Uh, yeah. So that, that, those are a couple of big things that they're right into, um, which makes sense if if that's what they are. And because this is worldwide. And I mean, you start looking through, I mean, I was, I was looking at some of this stuff and I just lost count the amount of countries that they're, they're talking about, you know, I mean, there's even the United Arab Emirates. Really? Yeah. They got teams and there's stuff going on there, um, through, through Africa, through Asia, Europe, North America, South America, like everywhere. The, the, now when they get, we get into who they are. They are a non-government, non-profit international organization. No governments are involved, not profit, and they're international. How do they bring in funding to, to run? Because they, there's a lot of activities. There's yeah. there's costs here that have to be covered. Yeah. It's all fundraising and, I guess, huh. sponsorship and that sort of stuff, right? So they do have, they got a whole lot of objectives in that they... They, uh, they, they go for here. Just go through a few of them. The obvious one is to promote rafting in all countries of the world and at all levels to encourage the establishment of national rafting federations in countries where no rafting organizations exist. Now, the big one that I find, I mean, especially in Europe, there's Europe, um, is the U.S. Okay. I mean, there's a big U.S. Now, you talked about that, um rafting trip the guys did through the Grand Canyon. Yes. And their raft blew a... Yeah, they, they <laughs> right? broke a spar or something and it punctured yeah. one of the pontoons. That was uh, members of the U.S. team. Oh, was it? There. Yeah, yeah. They're huge into, into this sort of stuff. Uh, another objective they have, promote sportsmanship and fair play. Which is, you know, any it's, sport. It's, there's this, there's, they seem to be following a standard. Like I've heard a lot of these before, like when it comes to like downhill skiing and, and, or, or other sports, this is, imagine that they form themselves along the lines of many other common sports that are big. Yeah. yeah. And like I say, I mean, sportsmanship and fair play is, is everything, right? Yes. Which is a good thing that they do promote. Because as you asked, one of their objectives to work on rafting becoming an Olympic sport. Oh, okay. There, so there it is. And if, there. yeah, I mean, you, you got to have the sportsmanship and fair play if you're going to be yeah. in the Olympics. But that is one of their objectives is getting into the Olympics. Accredited for it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens So there. maybe you'll see them as a demonstration sport. Sport in, eventually, yeah. In the next decade or so. and uh, To organize world rafting championships. Which they do. Uh, they have the World Rafting Championships every couple of years. We'll get that into into the whole World Rafting Championship thing in a little, in a little bit. Uh, because that's all, that's complicated and confusing and, and kind of cool. Uh, develop and maintain standards for all sport of rafting and safeguard the rafting industry. So again, you know, you got to have your, your, your standards at a certain level to make sure you got to keep your employees safe. You got to keep yep. your, anybody, your your customers safe. You want you don't want to injure. Or hurt well, you anybody. don't want to damage the rafting industry either. Exactly, right? like its reputation. You spend all this these years getting it up there, and uh, you want it moving forward, not backwards. Yeah, they want to encourage the development of recreational rafting. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've been 
researching has all been on the the sport side of it, yeah. but they're you know they're also getting into the um, the, the the recreational side of it. Well, like I say, with with uh, the rafting we, we do in in Ottawa area and whatnot, you know, it's just the go for the day sort of thing. Okay, they're also into that, not just the big sports, mm-hmm. but they're also into the you know, the, the local recreational. So they're trying to promote all aspects of the sport. Yeah. And when I'm, I was looking into that, I mean, you start looking and I mean, of course we're Southern Ontario. So we are, we sort of gravitate towards the Ottawa, uh, owl rafting and then the Madawaska canoe. Yeah. MKC uh, Madawaska canoe center. Um, but I'm starting to look and they've got them, you can go through rafting trips through the Rockies in Alberta, out through BC I suppose anywhere like that. where there's a river, you can... Where you got these bigger... I mean, Colorado River, yeah. the Salmon River, yeah. uh, all down through the states and stuff, like huh. the Grand Canyon, all of that. I mean, there's so many spots yeah. to do the recreational, right? Uh, to promote conservation of river environs and lobby for their protection. Again, without the rivers, your sport's gone. Oh, yeah, exactly. So that's got to be... Foster and promote tourism through the sport of rafting. So, you know, you get people coming over, you get the athletes coming over for these events. And then you've got, you know, local people, you want to get them going with their, you know, their companies or their rafting companies. So yeah, it's definitely tourism. Um, there's a lot of money in tourism, right? So yeah. there's, that's a potential right there. Big time, big time. Especially in the summer, it's everybody's out doing stuff. Yep. Uh, recommend river guide and river rescue service standards oh. and training programs. Perfect. So again, they're, they're right on top of that. You, yeah. you, you got to have the standards, but I mean, that's, that's with anything. You, if you are going out to be a, a canoe guide, then there are standards that you've got to maintain. You don't want to just give anybody a guiding license, say, go to town. Yeah. And, you know? and that's like, you set a standard. If you want to be part of the industry itself, if you want to uh, you splinter off on your own and, and play your own game, then there's no controls and there's no safety nets. But if you, uh, if you follow the dictates of whatever organizing body of whatever sport you do participate in, then there, there are certain rules that you have to, you have to run by, right? Yeah. And, and I guess that's, it makes sense that they're developing these to, to make it, uh, it's safer for everybody. It's more controlled. It's a more predictable experience. Yeah. So that's the International Rafting Federation. That's what, that's what they're all about. Basically making sure everybody's safe, making sure this is all happening. Everybody's having a good time, promote growth in the raft industry and the sport and, and the, uh, the local rafting. So just build it up, build it up, build yeah. it up and, you know, make sure everybody's having a good time at the end of the day, safe and and having a good time. Exactly. Because if you, if you end up having various incidents where it could threaten to shut down the industry, if, if people are doing it unsafely, then that's where the problem causes. And, you know, it has people shy away from the sport. Yeah. You know, instead of like, uh, I, I taught when I was up at MKC, I was asking them about their rafting and I was, you know, thinking about doing it. And they said, well, they have actually family trips. And I said, well, you know, my, my kids are like four or three and six, we're going to be four and seven this summer. They said, absolutely, it's meant for stuff like that. They have river runs that's safe for that age. It's family trips. It's safe. It's it's predictable. And and you need a standard within the industry to ensure that people like, like me are going to bring my children out and grow the sport and promote the sport and, you know, talk to, you know, talk to your friends, talk to people. And it, it causes the sport to grow and more reliable, more trustworthy. Yeah, because you don't want to be saying, hey, let's go out for the day. And you go to some place and they're saying, oh, yeah, we only had 14 people die last year. Because that's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, only 14. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get people out to a sport like that. Yeah. So the World Rafting Championships. We'll go through. There's a bit of history with this as well. Um, the World Rafting Championships had its or- origins in an international event called Project Raft in which up to 50 teams competed in various disciplines, slalom downriver in Siberia, the really? Choya, Choya River, uh, in 1989. Uh, then it, they had another one in 1990, 91, 92, 93, that sort of stuff. In 94, the World Championships were held in Italy on the Dora Baltea River, and it was there that many of the, the key people 
saw the need to form an international body to represent all racers, rafters, guides, all aspects of rafting. The 90, later in 94, they tried to get the project raft again, but I guess it fell through. So the, the one gentleman, Tony Hansen, he decided, you know what? I'm going to just put something together here. I'm going to get some sponsors and see what I can do to get something going. Because he didn't want it to die, right? Yeah. Well, he ended up with Camel uh, as a mess of sponsor. Camel who? The cigarettes. Really? Yeah. Tobacco company, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he, he So he designed the event. It was slightly more competitive line, streamlining the events to time trial, sprint, slalom, and downriver. And these were the basis of the International Rafting Federation race rules. This was the birth of the Camel Whitewater Challenge, CWWC, which I was seeing everywhere in my research. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CWWC, it was, it was everywhere. The first one took place in the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe, um, 95 to 97. And it started growing from there. In 98, 99, and 2000, these events were given the status as world championships. Well, there you go. And there was uh, team qualifications through selection events and stuff like that. In the year 2000, the IRF resolved to hold the World Rafting Championships every two years. Partially because you're trying to get these teams together schedule-wise. Yeah. And, I mean, like say six-man teams, right, plus one spare okay. with these rafts going every year to this big world championship somewhere. I guess it was just a bit of a hassle. Well, it, it, when a sport is starting out, you can understand that it, there, if it's every year or if it's every six months, you're going to have a hard time growing it because it's, it's it's too saturated, too new. Well, it's also not easy to get to some of these places, right? Yeah, When exactly. you're talking Costa Rica, you're to- talking South Africa, Chile, the U.S., which is, but I mean, out of the way, the Czech Republic, Ecuador... Uh, South Korea, there's Bosnia. A, there's a lot of money raising expenses that have yeah. to be covered. Yeah. And I mean, because it's not a massive sport, yeah, th- yeah. Th- that money is uh, hard to come by sometimes. And it's not like you're building a football field or, or a foot track in, you know, in some rural area. This, you have to go to the water. You can't bring it to you. Right. Now in, it's it was typically six paddlers and one reserve, just in case something happened to somebody, right? But in 2010, now this is only seven years ago now. Yeah. 2010, they held their first ever R4 or four-man raft world championships. And what they've done now is it alternates yearly with the R6 world champs. So in 2010 was the four, 2011 was the six, 2012 was the four, Right, sort of like the uh, winter and summer Olympics summer, sort yeah, of thing, right? exactly, the alternate. Yeah, so that, that, that's cool, because that way there's something every year. Now, the teams, as I said, are selected by their national federations and through whatever means that they, they decide to be fair. Top men, top women teams from each member federation is eligible to attend, and the teams consist of six paddlers and one reserve or four paddlers and one reserve. The disciplines. This is where it gets. This is where it gets kind of cool. Rafting competitions consist of four disciplines: sprint, head-to-head, slalom, and downriver. And it's all based on points and stuff like that for an okay. overall winner. Yep. Right. So the sprint is just hard, fast, short burst speed of, for the team. It's you know a short distance, two to three minutes of hard paddling, always done by one team at a time. Oh, so you're not head to head. Uh, yeah, okay. So, so the, yeah, so you're yeah. not racing anybody. You're racing yeah. the clock. Okay. You're not racing another team, which is cool. That's that's the sprint. The head to head, however. See, that would be exciting, the head to head. That would be kind of cool to see. Because you kind of be getting each other's ways too, right? Yeah. Side by side river and sh- in, in narrow cuts. And, well, and the rap is, and yeah, and you're trying to get drops. the best line and yeah. stuff like that. And That would be exciting. Uh, the most visually exciting discipline is the head to head. Pitting two teams together in a fast-paced sprint for the finish line. Short short distance, but must be through a rapid, normally taking teams between two to three minutes to run the course. So, yeah, and then again, you know, you're against another team and, yeah. you know, choose the best line. Hopefully you're in first, you can get that line. and Exactly. 
edge so the other person So it's a time out. trial. You're head to head. Yeah. It's a time race. Yeah. First uh, top top teams, you know, uh, top, top times added onto your scores. The slalom is the most technically challenging event, and this is the one that even you said you can't picture this. Yeah. This is just like the kayaking. Um, through the gates and everything, And right? I've seen, uh, just the last uh, Summer Olympics, I saw kayaks and canoes doing, or ca- I saw the kayaks doing this race. And, you know, the, you have downstream and upstream gates and, and you have to eddy out. And it is like, it's it's very fast-paced. And it's, it is exciting to watch. I enjoy watching it. And I'm trying to think, a huge inflatable raft. Trying to well, do... and that's the, like say with the, when they're all bendy and stuff like that, right? I mean, the, the, the kayak is stiff and you can just you know turn it sort of but with this thing and it folds and it bends and you got four to six people work trying to work together together that's the whole thing and you need precision and clearly because you have to make a gate you can't hit the gate you have to go through the cut it's the most technically challenging event and counts for 30 percent of your total points huh the event demands a high level of technique and teamwork to negotiate the rafts through 12 downriver and upriver gates in powerful rapids. Touching, failing to pass, or intentionally moving a gate results in a penalty. Each team runs runs the course twice, and their best time is used to determine the results. Huh. Like, I mean, you see these rafts. Could you imagine having to pull that upstream to get through a gate? No, I can't imagine that. Wow. Uh, the last one is the down river is the star event. This race is close to an hour of racing along a section of continuous and powerful rapids. It'd be difficult to cover this on television. Yeah, you got You'd drones to, now. It would have to be recaps, right? Yeah. yeah. Or you could have, uh, staggered starts every 10 minutes or every 15 minutes you have a start or something like that. So they don't run into each other. But yeah, I can see where this would be very interesting, but it's, it seems long. Well, there's lineup groups of five rafts at a time. At once? Yep. So you're getting each other's way. Yeah. Huh. So, <laughs> sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? It's like crashed, that crashed ice and started in Quebec. Yeah. Red Bull crashed ice. Yep. You know, where there's like five skaters going down, going the hill. down these hills. That one in Niagara Falls. They did yeah. that. Yeah. So you're starting to look at all this thing, you know, you these people getting into it. How old do you think you have to be to do this? Well, I don't know, but I imagine there must be an age limit. 14 years or older. That's really young. The youth, yeah, under 19 division. There's a junior, which is under 23 division. There's the masters. You're eligible to compete in the masters 40 plus division if you're 39 years or older. So then there's the regular between 23 and 39, yeah. I guess, right? But yeah, it's be- it's becoming a, a big thing. And check out the the um, International Rafting Federation site, internationalrafting.com. They have a whole bunch of information about rafting. And it's, it's becoming so popular that it's <laughs> unbelievable. But uh, yeah, check it out. Um, I'm going to start watching some more videos and i love to see this as a as an olympic sport that'd be kind of cool it would be interesting hey yeah i mean we'll continue doing the the you know recreational rafting but um yeah just watching some of these guys go with these big rafts <laughs> ah, that's something be fascinating it, it really is it really is so well let's take a quick break here and uh we'll be back in a moment you are listening to paddling adventures radio on reno viola outdoors Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. 
And uh, so this time of year is coming around again. We haven't done events since last winter. It's been so a while. It's uh, event season in March and onwards. So we're going to go through some of the upcoming events. So Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show is February 24th through 26th. That's just in a couple days at the Toronto International Centre. The Quiet Water Symposium, March 4th at the MSU Pavilion, Lansing, Michigan. Uh, so me and Sean are going to be there if I get my passport <laughs> in time. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, so we're going to be uh, wandering around the show, checking things out at the Quiet Water Symposium. It's uh, one of the first things that we're going to go to together uh, for the uh, in reference to the show. So then there's Canoe Copia, March 10th through 12th at the Alliant Energy Center in Madison, Wisconsin. That's on my to-do list for next year. Yes, next year. Too tight for this year to get to that. Uh, the Real Paddling Film Festival on March 21st at the Tap and Tankard in Whitby, Ontario. This is an event that we ourselves are hosting for the Real Paddling Film Festival. Then there's the Kitchener-Waterloo Canoe Symposium, April 8th at the Princess Twin Cinemas in Waterloo, Ontario. So we will be uh, sponsoring this show this year, uh, along with David Bain. So it's a uh, Paddling Adventures Radio. We're going to sponsor it. We're going to be there in the lobby. We're going to have a table or something, right? Yep. Before and after the show. Yes. And finally, 150 for 150 on June 25th at the Canoe Lake in Algonquin Park. And I'll be going to that. So that's our events for... uh, Yeah, lots of things coming up this year. So everybody... uh, Check your calendars and see if you can get to some of these events. But in the meantime, that's our time. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.